This is Shira number 191. For God is not a man. Bilam blessing and betrayal. Okay. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, can everybody hear me? Everyone can see me? Okay. I'm Hanoch Waxman, and uh, Shior for this early afternoon is entitled For God is Not a Man, Bilam Blessing and Betrayal. As the title of the Shior indicates, I quite obviously would like to discuss Parshat the Balak. Uh, and in general, I'd like to consider somewhat of a larger, broader scope thematic problem regarding the inclusion of Parshat Balak in the Torah in general, and also a more specific problem, uh, an interesting connection between Parshat Balak on the one hand, and another quite famous story in Tanakh on the other hand, uh, which for the moment I will leave is somewhat as a riddle, and hopefully we will unpack that as we move along. So to turn to the first problem, I'd like to begin with a fascinating formulation found in a famous Gemara, Mesef Bababat, or Adaf Yudalad, that discusses the authorship of the Torah, or various books of Tanakh, on some plane. And if you take a look at your source sheet, at... Uh, uh, well, does everybody have a source sheet? Okay, for those who do not have a source sheet, they theoretically should be outside the front door. Um, they, except for a few exceptions, the source sheet for this year is the Tanakh, uh, but uh, you can follow along either inside a Tanakh or on the source sheet. And the major, majority of the psukim that we'll be looking at are uh, in the uh, on the source sheet. Does everyone have a source sheet at this point? Okay, good. So without further ado, if one takes a look at the source uh, at source number two on your source sheet, which begins at the Talmud it begins uh, with the following phrase, Sidran Shel Ketuvim. And if you look in the middle of the second line, after the Gemara discusses the ordering of the various books of Tanakh, in the middle of the second line, uh, the Gemara says the word Mi, Umi, Umi Katvan. Who wrote these various books? The Gemara answers, Moshe Katav Sifro. Moshe wrote his book, whatever that means. Uparshat Bilam Vi'iov. And Parshat Bilam and Iyov, and the Gemara goes on, Yeshua Katav Sifro, Shmones Psukim Sheh Torah. And what I'm concerned with here, interested in here, is this fascinating formulation. At first, the fact that Moshe wrote his book and Parshat Bilam. Uh, the indication here is that in some sense, Parshat Bilam, and when the Gemara says Parshat Bilam, it means what we call Parshat Balak, the corpus of Prakim, uh, Kaf Aleph, Kaf Ben, and Kaf Dalad in the Torah, chapters 22 through 24. The Gemara first said it's Parshat Bilam. Apparently, in some sense, Parshat Bilam is different or other than Sefer Torah Moshe, than Sifro, as the Gemara phrased it. Uh, and in point of fact, if one almost engages in a cursory reading of Sefer Bamibar uh, and of Parshat Balak, one very much strongly uh, emerges with the sense that uh, Parshat Balak is different or other. It is Parshat Bilam or Parshat Bilam Bibalak or Parshat Balak and Bilam, take whatever formulation you wish, than classic Sefer Torah Moshe. I'd like to formulate this in, in two variant yet related ways. Uh, the first is a somewhat of a, a narrative problem, and the second is somewhat of a thematic problem. And let me let me explain what I mean by the thematic by the narrative problem for the moment. Take a look in your source sheet in source number one, uh, which is Bamidbar Parak Kafbet, and Pasuk Aleph of Parak Kafbet, really in some conceptual sense uh, connected to the events of Parak Kaf Aleph, says as follows. The children of Israel arrived in Arbot Moab across the way from the Jordan from Yericho. Now, of course, this spot is on some level the jumping point, uh, the jumping off point for entrance into the land for Kibush Haaretz, as is indicated by the fact that they are across the river, across the Jordan River from Yericho. And later on, of course, in Sefer Yeshua, they will cross the river and conquer Yicho is the beginning of the conquest of the land. And in point of fact, this is in fact the last tachana, the last station that B'nai Yisrael encamp at before entering the land. Uh, but a lot has yet to happen. Uh, of course, um, Moshe will pass on the leadership to Yeshua. 
there will be a census, uh, there will be discussion in preparation for Nachala, for inheriting the land later on. Pinchas will rise to prominence. Uh, Moshe will give his last set of speeches in Sefer Tvarim. But in terms of traveling, nothing more happens. And on some level, Bnei Yisrael are de facto ready to enter into the land. And we would kind of somewhat expect that the narrative would continue from this point with matters related to uh, Knisat Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, the entry of the people into the land, and whether it would be about uh, some sort of false start or some sort of setback or some sort of transference of authority or some sort of census. It might be about any of these things. But what we don't expect is an extended three-chapter discourse about the relationship between Balak and Bilam and the journey of Bilam and talking donkeys and the relationship between Bilam and his donkey and everything else that we find in chapters 22, 23, and 24, which is quite an extensive digression before in Parak Cafe we refer, return back to the story of uh, Am Yisrael. So I might phrase the problem as somewhat of a narrative problem, the sense of interlude of disruption, a shift of scene, a flash sideways, where we move from the world of Moshe and Am Yisrael to this other world of Balak and Bilam. In that sense, Parshat Bilam uh, seems to be some sort of an interruption uh, of the narrative. And this is maybe the uh, narrative uh, way I might formulate the problem. However, I think uh, when the Gemara talked about Parshat Bilam that is distinct from Sefer Torah to Moshe, uh, I think an indicator hinted at a kind of deeper, uh, more fundamental or thematic problem. And let me explain uh, what I mean by that. We think about the Torah as a whole, and the theme of the Torah, and kind of the broadest strokes, one can refer to the plot of the Torah as the relationship between God and Israel, uh, the covenant contracted by the Avot, and eventual manifestation in the relationship with their children. Simply put, the ups and downs of the relationship between God and Israel is the plot of the Torah, and they are uh, the central characters. Uh, and one could argue, or it would seem, that Parshat uh, Bilam, these three chapters, chapters 22, 23, and 24 of Sefer are a complete exception to that rule. They seem to have nothing to do with the overall theme of the Torah. They are not Sefer Torah to Moshe, they are rather Parshat Bilam, or Parshat Balak Bilam, or Parshat Bilam Balak. And of course, the question is, what is it doing here? Why is it in the Torah? Not just in the sense of narrative interruption. Uh, but more generally, in terms of how it fits into the larger picture of the purpose of the story of the Torah. I'll add to that, to be a bit more specific, Sefer Bamidbar is a very particular piece of that larger God is a relationship story. It's the story of the journey, the journey from uh, Har Sinai to Eretz Yisrael to the cusp, from Sinai to Arvot Moab is effectively the journey. Uh, and that what that what happens on the desert journey. And again, uh, it is altogether unclear uh, why Parshat Bilam is included in the Torah in general here and now in Sefer Bamibar. And that is kind of the larger, more general thematic picture or question that I would like to discuss in the Shior: the inclusion of Parshat Bilam in Sefer Bamibar and the Torah in general. That is one issue we'll discuss. Second issue. Uh, which I uh, mentioned in my introduction a few moments ago, was something far more concrete, far more specific, a particular textual problem, uh, which I discovered a few years ago and have been fascinated by ever since. Let's take a look uh, at the text at Perak Kafbet per se, and a particular part of that first journey of Bilam um, when he comes to uh, meet Balak. So we pick it up in source number one on your sheet, which is Bamidbar Perak Kafbet. Um, and we take, let's pick it up in um, what is the fourth little artificial paragraph there. It is Pasuk Kaf Aleph. It is somewhat far down on your source sheet, the way the fonts work down here. So let's pick it up in Perek Kaf Bet, Pasuk Kaf Aleph. And the Torah says as follows. After, uh, had, after Balak had called him, he'd refused the first time. He sent the second set of messengers. God eventually told him to go. Uh, again, uh, Kaf Aleph, Kaf Bet, Kaf Aleph here. Back in Bilam Baboker, Bilam uh, got up in the morning, et atono, and he saddled his donkey. Uh, of course, how else would you go? And he went on in his journey. And then, interesting and strangely enough, we'll return to this later, Kafbet, uh, and then God became angry uh, because he was going. But then again, a few verses earlier, he told him to go. 
uh, strange, we'll return to that later. And an angel of the Lord stood in his path to block him. And he was traveling, uh, riding upon his, his donkey, um, and he had his two lads with him. Now, this in itself is rather unremarkable, but uh, there is something quite remarkable uh, about it, and I hope uh, some of you heard the echoes here. But first, let's note a fascinating midrash, it's found in Tanchuma, also in the Midrash Agadah, and it's kind of collated or synthesized by Rashi here in a fascinating formulation. Take a look at source number... Three, on your page, Rashi and the words, Vayachbosh et Atono. And Rashi says, citing these Mishrashim, Mikan Shasinam Kalkilat et Ashura. From here we learn that hatred uh, disturbs the order of things. There's a kind of normal order of things, and hatred or excess passion in general causes distortions in the normal order of things, the way things would normally work. Uh, and the Midrash explains, Rashi explains, Shechavashu Batsmo. He did it himself. In the normal way of the world, he had these servant fellows, the lads, the Na'arav, and they would have saddled the donkey for him. But Bilam had such, such zrizut uh, to go on this journey. He got up early and he went and he did it himself. Uh, and we learn here that, uh, that sinah, the excess passion, hatred, distorts the normal order of things. Then Midrash goes on in a kind of interesting way and says as follows, Amar uh, Baruch God said, Russia, Bilam, you're Russia, Avraham, Abraham came before you, Avihem, their father, Shneemar, Bereshit Perek Kapet Pasegimel, Ve'ashkem Avraham Baboka, Ve'achboshet Chamoro. We have a similar verse, a similar pasuk in Bereshit Perek Kapet Pasegimel, Ve'ashkem Avraham Baboka, he got up in the morning, Ve'achboshet Chamoro, and he saddled his donkey. Now, that is true. There is such a similar verse, uh, and it's worthwhile going and taking a look at it. Take a look at, lo and behold, source number four, uh, the story of Bereshit Perek Kapet. It's a bit confusing, because... The two chapters we're going to look at here are Bamibar Kafbet and Bereshit Kafbet. So when I say Kafbet and don't explain myself, someone please note which one. Okay? But we take a look in source number four, which is Bereshit Perak Kafbet, which says as follows. You know how it begins. Pasuk Let's jump to Pasuk Gimel. Avram got up in the morning. et And he saddled his, his donkey. Um, now, uh, there is a kind of interesting textual overlap here, right? But let's consider the two phrases for the moment. In Bereshit Parak Kafbet, you have Ve'ashkem Avraham Baboker Ve'achboshet Chamoro. And in Bamidbar Parak Kafbet, we had Ve'yakam Bilam Baboker Ve'achbosh Et Atono. So there are two things in similarity and two things not in similarity here, two things held in common, right? There is a kind of overlap between the Baboker, it's in the morning time in both cases, and there's an action, there's a Pula of Ayachbosh in both cases, but the verbs are different, right? It's Vayakam versus Vayashkem, Vayakam in the case of Bilam, Vayashkem in the case of Abraham, and there's also another difference in terms of the object or the animal that we're dealing with, the Aton uh, versus the Chamor. Uh, now I translated them the same way, uh, as donkey, which they are, but still, in Hebrew, they're different words. So we should note this is somewhat of a kind of interesting uh, textual overlap. Now, the Midrash exploits this interesting textual overlap uh, to make two interesting ideological points. Or what are the two interesting ideological points of the Midrash? Uh, the first is that sina, or passion, or also, in the mind of the Midrash, there are many Midrashim that talk about Ahava, the Kalkil of the Tashura, and there are Midrashim regarding Avraham. Why did Avraham saddle the donkey himself? Because Ahava, the Kalkil of the Tashura. He had such zeal to fulfill the divine command that he went and did it himself. And that's kind of the opposite of uh, Bilam's hatred that he went and did it himself. So there's an ideological point in the Midrash that excess passion distorts the normal order of things, and you find this theme as well in the case of Paro. Uh, chasing after B'nai Yisrael and Parshat B'Shalach in the Midrashim. So one interesting teaching of the Midrash here, the way it exploits the textual connection, is to make the point about excess passion distorting the normal order of things. Uh, the second uh, interesting ideological point in the Midrash is the Midrash refers to Bilam as a Russia, an evildoer. Ha! Uh, here's an opportunity where we can see out of the corner of our eye Avraham. So as you can see Avraham out of the corner of our eye, that allows us to say, ah, Bilam, you're just a Russia. Who do you think you are? 
uh, you're no Abraham, etc. Right? So the Midrash does two interesting uh, things with this partial overlap, but the Midrash is interesting of itself, and the Rashi is interesting. However, what I think is far more interesting, uh, uh, and on some level more problematic, is the fact that the, the quasi-textual overlap that the Midrash is picking up on here is in fact, in my opinion, just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and if we look carefully at the Psukim, there's a kind of deep and uh, extensive connection between the two parashiyot, uh, between uh, Bereshit, between Bamidbar Perek Kafbet, the story of Bilam on the one hand, and Bereshit Perek Kafbet, the story of Abraham on the other hand. And I'd like to uh, develop that a little bit before uh, moving on further. So to develop that, uh, let's take a look. We have at least one or two elements uh, of connection here. The first being the uh, the boker, the morning, uh, the second being the action of Echbosh in both cases. Well, there are some others. Uh, let's take a look in uh, source number one, in Bamidbar Perak Kafbet, uh, um, Pasuk Kaf for the moment, which said, or Pasuk Kaf, we go back one Pasuk. Right, after the second set of Sarim had come to uh, uh, Bilam, Bilam goes for a nighttime divine consultation, and we're told in If they came to call you, uh, go. And then in There is actually a divine command involving the word lech uh, to go on this journey here. God comes in the middle of the night and says, get up and go. Uh, and then in Pasuk Kafala, Vayakam Bilam, and Bilam got up. Well, of course, if we uh, go here to back to Bereshit Perak Kafbet, uh, to what is found as source number, uh, sorry about this, source number four uh, on your page, we go to Bereshit Perak Kafbet, uh, Pasuk Bet. Vayomer Kachna et Bincha et Hircha Shahafta et Yitzchak. There's a divine command which involves the term lech. Uh, and uh, we take a look in Pasuk Gimel. And he got up and he went. So a third element of parallel between the two stories is the divine command to go on this journey involving the term lech and the getting up and the embarking on that journey uh, signaled by the word ve'akam. That's a third connection between uh, the stories. Um, there's more. Uh, you might have caught it when I was first reading the Bilam story in Bamidah Perak Kafbet. He's accompanied by two na'arim, right? Uh, in uh, Pasuk Kafbet, there, in source number one, Kafbet, Kafbet. Who cares uh, that he has Shnei Na'arav Imo? But the inclusion of the particular mention of the Shnei Na'arim that accompany Bilam on his divinely mandated journey involving the saddling of his donkey early in the morning, of course, harks back and is just yet another parallel to the story of the Akedah. If you take a look in Bereshit, Perak Kafbet, uh, in Pasuk Gimel, you have as follows. And he took his two Na'arim with him. And this is a, a fourth element of parallel between the stories. There are, in fact, indeed, uh, some others. Um, both stories involve, if you think about it, a, and include a Malach Hashem. Uh, and most extensively in the Bilam story, if you take a look in... Um, Source number one again, uh, in Pasuk Kaf Gimel, or even go back a little bit further, Pasuk Kaf Bet. He sent an angel of the Lord to block it, right? Pasuk Kaf Gimel. And the Aton saw the Malach Hashem, the angel of the Lord. Uh, and, and he stopped, and Bilam had to hit his donkey, and then he stood in a particular place, completely blocking the path. 
So the donkey saw the Malach Hashem pressed against the wall, uh, and uh, uh, Bilam's leg was crushed, and the Pasuk Kava, Yosef Malach Hashem Avor, Vayamud Ramakom Tsar, Asher Indarach Lentoti, etc., over and over. It appears actually five times the Malach Hashem in the story. Eventually, of course, Bilam is clued into what's going on. His eyes are opened up. He too sees the Malach Hashem. So the Malach Hashem is key or central to the story. And I think it's easily arguable that a Malach Hashem not just appears in the Akedah story in Bereshit Parak Kafbet, but is also key or central uh, to the story, to the development of the story. And we take a look in Bereshit Parak Kafbet uh, for the moment, take a look in Pasuk Yud Aleph in Bereshit Parak Kafbet, uh, and that says uh, as follows in Pasuk Yud Aleph. Just as Abraham is about to shaft his son, right? He's about to perform the, the horrendous act. Pasuk Yid Aleph says, Ve'ikra alav malach Hashem in Hashemayim, Ve'yomer Avraham, Avraham ve'yomer hineni, Pasuk Yid Bet, Ve'yomer al tishlach yedcha l'anar, v'altas l'oma, don't do anything. He stops Avram at the last moment. And then again, malach Hashem appears again in Pasuk Tetva, Ve'ikra malach Hashem al-Avram shenet min Hashemayim. I think in terms of this uh, fifth point uh, of parallel, the inclusion of Malach Hashem, it's worthwhile to note not just the mention of Malach Hashem in both stories, but also the particular role it plays in the plot. There's a journey that has a particular predetermined end or purpose, a, a tachlit, as we might say in Hebrew, uh, and, or a telos, a fancy term, uh, that is being headed towards. What is Bilam out to do? Well, he's heading off most probably to curse B'nai Yisrael, and the Malach Hashem thwarts uh, or blocks that journey and eventually attempts to change his purpose uh, in some sort of way. The exact same thing had already happened in the story of Yaqidah, uh, that Avraham, the purpose of his journey was to sacrifice Yitzchak and Haramoriah, and the Malach Hashem is sent and it thwarts or blocks or changes the purpose of that journey in some way, and eventually, of course, uh, Yitzchak is swapped out and the aisle is put in and that is due to the interference of the Malach Hashem. So it's not just Malach Hashem, but it's interference of Malach Hashem and it's a kind of thwarting or changing of the purpose of the journey that the Malach Hashem does in both stories. And this is yet one other fifth element in parallel. And I have one last one, uh, which I really like, which is a particular term, uh, a particular verb that appears in both stories and I think plays a key role in both stories as well. Take a look in Bamidbar Perak Kafbet Pasuk uh, Kaf Hey uh, for the moment. And Perak Kafbet Pasuk Kaf Hey says as follows, uh, or even back in Kaf Gimel. Vateirah Aton et Malach Hashem Nitzav Baderach. The uh, Aton saw the uh, uh, Malach Hashem. Uh, and again, uh, the, the vision term in Pasuk Kaf Hey. Vateirah Aton et Malach Hashem Vatzuchat Salakir. Again, the vision term. Or if you move even further on uh, in the story there, in Pasuk Kav Zayin, Vatera Atonat Malach Hashem, and finally Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Vayigal Hashem et Enei Bilam, Vayar et Malach Hashem, and eventually Bilam sees uh, as well, right? Uh, and so seeing is important uh, in the story here, but I think seeing is also really, really important uh, in the Abraham story, the story of Bereshit Perk the story of the Akedah. Uh, take a look for the moment in Bereshit Perek Kaf Bet Pasuk uh, Dalid, uh, which says as follows: Vayomash Deshiva Yisa Aram Et Einav Vayar Et Hamakom Irachok. He saw the place uh, from a distance. There's another time it appears. It's actually not in your Daf Makarot in Kaf Bet Chet uh, during that little dialogue of Abraham and Yitzchak. Uh, Abraham says to Yitzchak, Elokim Yirelo Haseh LeOla Bni. The second time the Riyah term appears. And finally, a few more times in the Avram story in Perak Kaf Bet Pasuk Yud Yimel, if we take a look at it here, uh, So he saw the aisle, his eyes were opened, he saw the aisle, and he brought that instead of Yitzchak. And what does he name the place in um, Pasuk Yudalad? God will show or God will be seen. So the vision term appears many, many times uh, in uh, the Avram story as well. And that is, I guess, a six-point uh, parallel uh, between the stories. 
And what I even like is to realize that vision not just appears in both stories, but it plays a key role in resolving the central conflict uh, of the two stories, and exactly the same role in resolving the central conflict of the two stories. If you think about it in, in Bamidbar, in the Bilam story, the two key protagonists in the story are Bilam and his donkey. And there's a conflict between them. And Bilam is just busy beating on his donkey because the donkey has stopped. And then, Vayigal Hashem Vayar, uh, Bilam sees as well, and Bilam sees uh, the Malach as well, and the seeing helps resolve the conflict between the two key protagonists. He stops beating the donkey, and he moves over to a, uh, to a better relationship or a different kind of relationship, and the vision plays a key role in involving the central conflict. But of course, that's exactly the same thing that already happened in the Akedah story, that Avram has the knife in his hand, and he's about to uh, sacrifice Yitzchak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. At that point, the Malach says, then don't do it, and then he lifts up his eyes, So the seeing or the vision uh, plays a key role in resolving the conflict between the two key protagonists, between Avram and Yitzchak, and there's a shift over to a different relationship based upon the seeing. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to call this. This is, this is not copy-paste. Uh, this is not uh, an echo. This is a clear biblical parallel. This is very interesting. And, and really one has to ask the question, what's the purpose of Sefer Bamibar, of the Torah, echoing the story of the Akedah? Uh, why is it that the journey of Bilam echoes the journey of Avraham uh, in this way? Uh, and that's really, I guess, the specific problem uh, that I like to discuss. And I, and I would like to argue that, you know, it's not really sufficient to do this, one of the standard things we do with biblical parallels. Well, often we look at them and we'll say, okay, so now we're going to compare two characters. Okay, so let's, let's see who's sitting in which position. So let's compare Abraham and Bilam. And this is supposed to tell us, oh, so one of the characters is bad and one of the characters is good. And we'll get this wonderful Abraham good, Bilam bad, and that doesn't really seem to do the trick. Uh, or is that, just to get that point across would not really seem to be a sufficient explanation for all this kind of very careful arrangement and literary work on the part of, of the Torah. Uh, or a Moshe, who was Kotev Sifro in uh, Parshat Bilam, according to the Gemara Dalit, right? So we really have the question of how to read this connection, how to read this parallel, how to read this look back by Sefer Bamibar uh, at Sefer Breshit, and that's, I guess, the second problem and primary problem I'd like to discuss in this Shi'or. Uh, okay, moving forward, as time is relatively uh, short. Um, in order to deal with both of these issues, I would like to uh, somewhat uh, um, deepen and broaden the problem, deepen our latter problem of the connection between uh, Bilam and Avraham. Uh, what I focused on so far is the connection between Babibar Kafbed and Reish Kafbed, the journey of Bilam and the story of the Akidah. But I think, in fact, there are some other interesting Bilam Avram connections that can be found uh, in the Parsha, which I think are quite fascinating. And let's uh, unmap or unpack those a little bit, because I think that will help to begin to move towards an approach to the entire set of problems uh, that I've raised. Uh, let's take a look in Parakapet Pasake in source number one. Um, uh, we're told here uh, in Parakapet Pasak Hey. So he sent messengers to Bilam, the son of Baor, to Petora, which is on the river, the land of his people. Okay, that's where Bilam is from. Uh, is, that, is that significant? I'd actually like to argue that it is kind of significant, because we don't really know much about Petora, where Eretz Al-Nahar is. But take a look later on in the Chumash and Sefer Tvarim, we revisit the origin point uh, of Bilam. Uh, and if we take a look in source number five, uh, in Devarim Perek Kaf Gimel, Pasuk Hey, we're told as to why the Ammoni and the Moavi cannot enter into Kal Hashem. And Perek Kaf Gimel, Pasuk Hey, Sefer Devarim says as follows, Al Devar Shalok Kidmu Etchem Balechem Uvamayim Baderach Batzeitchem Yimitzrayim Vasher Sachar Alechet Bilam Ben Baor 
Mibtar. Okay, Bilam and Mar came from Ptar. Aram Naharayim. He comes. Oh, it turns out that Ptar al Nahar is Aram Naharayim lekalalecha. Now, what is uh, Aram Naharayim? That's of course the Tigris uh, Euphrates River area. Ah, so that's where Ptar is, and that's where that's where Bilam uh, comes from. But pardon? Oh yeah. Well, if you think about it, in fact. Avram comes from exactly the same place. Now, uh, or at least he departs on his famous journey, or one of his famous journeys, uh, from that particular place. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that from the story of Bereshit Perak Kafdalid, uh, the dialogue between Avram and Eved Avram, when he sends his Eved, Eliezer, back to the hometown uh, to find a, a wife for his son, Yitzchak. And take a look in source number six on your sheet. Uh, in Bereshit Perak Kavdalad, Pasuk Gimel says as follows: Vashpiach Hashem Elokei Hashemayim Elokei Haaretz Hashalot Yikach Yishal Levni Mendot Kaknani Hashanochi Shev Kibo Ki El Artsi VeEl Moladeti Teilech You'll go to my Eretz, my land, my Moladet, my birthplace, my family circle. Avlakachta Yishal Levni LiYitzchak You'll take a son from there. And then a few Pesukim later in Pasuk Yud. In other words, that's a stand-in for the Eretz and the Moledet of Avraham Avinu. So it turns out, quite fascinatingly, uh, both Bilam and Avram come from the same place. They're both from Aram Naharayim. That's the Eretz and the Moledet of both of them. Uh, and now, maybe even they come... Torah, B'nai Amo, land of his people, why is that stuck in? Maybe they're even relatives. Maybe they come from the same place. Maybe they're some sort of extended clansmen. Who knows? But for some reason or other, the Torah goes out of its way to point out uh, that uh, Bilam and Avraham have the same origin point. Now, why do I use the phrase origin point? I don't just mean this as hometown, but they both embark from there on a journey in the direction of Canaan, right? That's exactly, uh, they leave uh, uh, the area of Iraq, uh, Aram Narayim, and they travel in the direction of Canaan. Uh, when does Bilam do that? Here and now in Bamidbar Perak Kafbat. And when did Abraham do that, by the way? We all know. In Perak Yud Bet, right? Uh, and although you know the Pesukim by heart, it's always worthwhile to take a look. Uh, take a look. It's somewhere on your sheet here uh, in source number seven, most probably would be my best guess. Yes. Uh, source number seven, which is Bereshit Perak Yud Bet, Fasik Aleph says as follows So you're going to leave. And Avram, of course, goes on this journey from Aram Narayim, from his Eretz and Moledet, in the direction of Canaan. Uh, okay, so again, here's another set of connections between uh, Abraham and Bilam, or between Bilam and Abraham, but it's not a Kafbet Kafbet connection. It's not a journey of Bilam, last journey of Abraham connection, the journey of the Akedah. It's a Kafbet Yudbet, or a journey of Bilam, first journey of Abraham, Perik Yudbet connection. And they both engage in a journey from Aram Narayim, leaving their Eretz and Moledet in the direction of Canaan. Now, regarding this second group, or second set of parallels between um, Bilam and Avraham, I think there's yet one more element which is really, really important to note. And to note it, we have to uh, switch over momentarily to the perspective of Balak. Why is it that Balak hires, or attempts to hire, or rents uh, this profit for hire that he rents out uh, Bilam? Well, he actually kind of tells us uh, at the very beginning of the story here, take a look in source number one, uh, in Parak Kafbet Pasak Vav in Sefer Bamidbar, which says as follows: Vata lecha na arali etaam hazeh kiatsum humimeni. Come curse these people because they're stronger than me. Ulai uchal na kebo. Maybe I'll be able to smite them. Vaagarshenu mina aretz, and I'll chase them out of the land. Kiadati. Et asher tivarech mivorach, uh, va asher taor you are. 
Now, I, I, the bold function kind of ruins all this and, and gives it away, uh, you know, because you can't miss it when it's on a daf makarot and it's bolded. Uh, but you theoretically could have missed it if it was just in a Tanakh printed in the regular way. Nowadays, they give you those little Tanakhim with the simaniyim on the side, which say things like, oh, go look at Parashat Parak Yudbet. But if you didn't have any of that, right, you might miss this, but you shouldn't miss it. Because this is a clear... What does Balak say? Balak says... Why do I want you? I want you because you have the power of blessing and cursing, and I want you to uh, curse on Yisrael. Now, it's even more particular than that. It's not just that uh, you have the power of blessing and cursing. I, I would kind of formulate this logically, that whether a particular individual X is blessed or cursed depends upon what kind of relationship they stand in to Bil'am. Uh, and that's what the power of uh, blessing and cursing logically means. I'll say that again. That whether a, a given person or entity X is cursed or blessed depends upon uh, what kind of relationship you stand into Bil'am. In other words, if you stand in the blessedness relationship to Bil'am, he blesses you, then you're blessed. Uh, and if you stand in the cursed relationship uh, to Bil'am, he curses you, then you're cursed, right? But that, of course, is exactly the famous formulation that we find in the original journey command given to Abraham uh, back in Bereshit Perak Yudvet. And let's take a look inside at uh, source number seven, uh, which says as follows. Uh, again, Perak Yudvet, Pasuk Aleph from the beginning. the key verse. Those uh, who bless you, I will bless them. Umekalelcha, and those who curse you, or I will curse. The not the final, but the penultimate bracha uh, that uh, God gives Abraham when he sets out on his first journey is, "You will have the power of blessing and cursing." But what does that power consist of? Well, it's the exact same kind of logical structure I mapped out a moment ago. That a given person or entity X, if they stand in the blessed relationship to Abraham, then they are blessed. If they bless Abraham, they will be blessed. And if they stand in the cursed relationship to Abraham, if they curse Abraham or his descendants, then they will be cursed. So again, it's a kind of uh, straight up identical kind of thing. And it turns out that we have a whole second set uh, of parallels between Bilam and Abraham. Not Bamibar Kafbet, Bereshit Kafbet, the journey of Bilam to the final journey of Abraham to the story of the Akedah, but Bamibar Kafbet, the journey of Bilam to the first journey of Abraham, the story of Lechlecha. You have, again, all the elements the Lechlecha, the divinely commanded journey, the leaving the Eretz and the Moledet, the going to Canaan, and the power of blessing and cursing elements. And again, the question now becomes deeper and sharper and broader. What is the point of paralleling Bilam to Abraham uh, and of connecting up uh, these two characters and stories? And although we might not realize we're already actually moving towards some set of solutions, as we will see in a few moments. Yes, I have a, maybe a few seconds for a question. Probably not, but I'll take it anyway. Yeah. The blessing and the curse in both Abraham and Bilam is not them, it's God. God is the blesser and the cursor in both cases. And that's another parallel. Not yes, yes, I agree, I agree. In other words, that when um, X winds up being blessed or cursed, it's by the instrument of God or by the means of God in both cases. I agree uh, wholeheartedly. Okay, good, good. Um, okay, so what do we do with this? If this was not, uh, you know, I, in a class, if this was a class, I would love to be able to take comments at this point and conduct some sort of discussion. But one of the things uh, that they, they do in, uh, for the May Yun, well, I don't so that this is being recorded. Uh, you know, there's a lot of advanced preparation, and uh, starting in February, we get rather numerous emails uh, regarding this or that or that, and then there's a, a extensive Dahan Chayot instruction page they sent us over and over, which it says, start on time, finish on time, or else. Um, and do not take questions or comments uh, at any point in the middle of this year. So I'm just going to note that I theoretically, I think they also uh, have in there somewhere, don't tell stories or don't mock uh, the Dafan Chayot. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, I, I would in theory take uh, questions at this point. I'm sure you all have what to say, but I, I'd like to present a few different uh, approaches, uh, two or three approaches 
They're somewhat interrelated to resolving the set of issues uh, that I've raised here, uh, working out the Bill and Avram connections and trying to figure out the connection between uh, Parshat Bilam and the story of the Torah in the, in the broader sense. Uh, to begin, or to do so, start to unpack things, I would like to think about uh, an interesting relationship between the two, st- two journeys of Abraham that I've mentioned here. The first journey, well, we'll call Breshi Yudbet, the journey of Lachach on the one hand, and the final journey, Breshi uh, Perkafet, what we colloquially know as the story of the Akedah. And not surprisingly, uh, there are quite a few connections uh, between uh, these stories. Uh, let's, let's take a look for the moment uh, in Breshi uh, Perk Yudbet, uh, uh, again, um, in Breshit Parak Yudbet, Pasuk Aleph, which we found in source number 7, uh, which said as follows. Okay. Very much Amal Abraham, Lech Lecha, A familiar, but in some sense, strange Pasuk. Go on a journey, Lech Lecha, and you're going to travel to where? To an unspecified place. Uh, the story of Rishit Parikvet begins with journeying to an unspecified place, uh, the divine command signified by the term Lech Lecha. Of course, the story of the Akidah is exactly the same thing. Uh, let's go back here to source number four, which was Rishit uh, Parik uh, Kafbet, which says as follows, Rishit uh, Parik Kafbet Pasuk Bet, this is as follows. Vayomer kachna et bincha et yidcha sherahavta v'titzkak v'lech lecha, the same lech lecha term. Ela eretz ha-moriah, to the land of the moriah. That seems pretty specific. Vayleu sham lola alachat ha-orim asher One of the mountains that I would tell you. So it's not specific at all. It's just you should go in some general direction. So again, the divinely commanded journey uh, signified by the term lech lecha to the as yet unspecified place. That is one common denominator between the two journeys of Abraham. Uh, a- another uh, common denominator between them, take a look in Bereshit Perak Yudbet, uh, Pasuk Vav, which was source number seven, says as follows, Vayar Abraham Ba'aretz Ad Makom Shechem. So, so Makom, a place, uh, appears in the story of Bereshit Perak Yudbet. But of course, Makom or place appears in the story of Breshit Parak Kafbet. Take a look in Breshit Parak Kafbet in source number four uh, in Pasuk uh, um, in Pasuk Gimel for the moment. And Breshit Parak Kafbet Pasuk Gimel says as follows. We're again in Pasuk Dalid. He came to the place. Or again in Pasuk Tet, Pasuk uh, And again in Pasuk Tet, you skip a few Pesukim in the sheet. So Makom is key in, in both stories. Another key term or object in both stories is that of Mizbeach. If you take a look in Perak Yidbet, uh, Pasuk uh, Vav, uh, in uh, source number seven, There's a mizbeach in the uh, uh, first story of Avram, the first unit of Avram, again in pasuk chet. He built the mizbeach. So there's a Mizbeach in, in both stories. Of course, in the story of the Akedah, in Perak Kaf Bet, Pasuk Tet, there's a Mizbeach there as well, which is key and central to the stories. Uh, what else besides the, the journey, the Lechlechat, the unspecified place, the Makom, the Mizbeach, are there others? There's divine revelation in both stories, which is signified by the phrase Lashem Hanirei Elav, where the Malach appears to him. So a fourth parallel is the divine revelation in both stories. Uh, And uh, finally, uh, there's, I guess, uh, one more, a fifth element of parallel. Both stories end with, besides the Lech Lecha, the Makom, the Mizbeach, the divine revelation, I think blessing or bracha 
is very central to both stories, or both journeys of Abraham, to that of Perak Yudbet and that of Perak Kafbet. Now, what do, what do I mean by that? Take a look in Perak Yudbet, Pasuk Zion, in uh, source number seven. Uh, when Avram finally arrives in the land of Canaan and builds that Mizbeah for the first time, Bereshi Perak Yudbet, Pasuk Zion says as follows. There's a divine promise, there's a divine blessing that you, your children will receive this land. That's the culminating point of the first journey of Abraham, the divine promise of Zerah Va'aretz. Now I think it's really interesting that the last journey of Abraham, the story of the Akedah, ends in a certain way, in a very similar way, Take a look in uh, Perak Kaf Bet Pasuk Yud Zayin here in source number four. Uh, and I'm going to uh, go back even to Pasuk Tetvav, the kind of culminating high point on some level of the story of the Akedah, the second appearance of the second calling of the Malach. Kaf Bet Tetvav says as follows Hashem al Abraham, Shinit Malach the second time. Vayomer Avraham, Avraham, Vayomer Hineni, Pasuk Yud Bet. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong place. I'm confused. Pasuk Tetvav. Vayikram Malach Hashem al Avraham Shenit Min Hashemayim Vayomer Bi Nishbat In Um Hashem. God says He swears as a Shvua. Kiyan Asher Asitet Tadavar Azelo Chasaftet Bintchad Kidecha. You didn't hold back your son. Pasuk Zayin. Kivarech Avarchecha Veharbe Arbe Et Zaracha Kechochve Hashemayim Vakachola Shalsvat Ayam. There'll be a Ribui Zera. Virash Zaracha Et Shar Oivav. Uh, and your children will be orish, they will inherit the gates of their enemies. In other words, they will successfully conquer the land. So this is not just Zeram, and it's not just Aretz, and it's not just Bracha, or source of Bracha for all nations of the world, it's also the particulars of uh, Yerusha. Uh, so this is this kind of commonality of themes between the first journey of Abraham and the last journey of Abraham, uh, the divinely commanded journey, the Lachlacha, the Makom, the Mizbeach, and the culmination of divine promise of Zerah Ba'aretz and success against the nations of the world, which is really the point of these journeys. Now, what's, what's the point of this parallel or of this commonality? Well, on a kind of simple level, it, it kind of serves as a literary bookending of the life of Abraham. It begins with Lachlacha, it ends with Lachlacha. It's the first promise of Zerah Ba'aretz, the last promise of Zerah Ba'aretz. Well, it's not just simple bookending, right? It's also a kind of building. Famously, Chazal teach us, right, uh, that this is the, the Akedah is the last of the Asaranis Yonot, the ten tests uh, that Abraham endured. Well, what does that mean, the ten? What's the first test? Well, the first test was the first, most probably. There are different ways of counting it. Most probably the first Lachacha command is the first test of Abraham. So these are the first and the last tests, uh, respectively. But... Either way, what we should realize is that the story of the Akedah is the sealing of the divine promises to Abraham of Zerah Ba'aretz. It begins way back in Breshit Parak Yudbet, but it develops and strengthens and deepens. And then these divine promises are finally sealed when we get to the story of the Akedah to Breshit Kafbet uh, with the extended version of Yirash Zaracha et Shar Evav. Now, why is uh, this uh, important uh, for us? Well, because I think it brings us to a kind of uh, preliminary uh, or, or perhaps a relatively decent understanding of some of what bothered us, which was uh, the parallels between uh, Bilam and Avraham, between Bilam and the journeys of Avraham, and the inclusion of the story of Pashat Bilam in the Torah. And let me explain what I mean by all this. Let's go back to the very beginning of things. Um, to break to Bamidbar Parak Kafbet Pasuk Aleph for the moment. Uh, source number one, Parak Kafbet Pasuk Aleph says as follows: Vayisu bnei Yisrael vayachenu barbot Moab meever liyadin yerecha. So they encamp in Arbot Moab and they are about to enter the land. By what virtue? Do Am Yisrael enter the land? Well, the answer to that question as to by what virtue uh, they enter the land is because of the divine promises made to Abraham. 
It's because of the journeys of Abraham. It's because of the first journey of Lachlacha of Abraham and and the second journey of Abraham uh, of Lachlacha and Perakibet, and everything that happened between them. That's the real reason, the divine promise of Zerubbabel as to why they are about to enter the land. They're on the cusp of the realization of those divine promises. And at this point, what does the Torah present? It presents Parshat Bil'am, uh, a set of stories that is shot through with Avraham and Bereshit imagery, with Parak Yibet and Parak Kafbet imagery. And maybe the purpose of the parallel, and maybe the inclusion of the story in Zebra Bambara at this point, is to mark the context and to remind us, the reader, as to by what virtue Am Yisrael will enter the land. It's because of Abraham Avinu. So the look back or the shout back uh, to Abraham and Sefer Bereshit is about marking the context for the momentous events that are about to happen in the remainder of Sefer Bamidbar, Sefer Dvarim, and Sefer Yoshua. And that's the purpose of the inclusion of Parshat Bilam. It's almost to include the imagery of Abraham as the purpose of the inclusion of the story, which is meant to mark the context for we, the reader, um, and to explain by what virtue Amisul enters to the land. I think that is one uh, possible approach to explaining uh, the complex of questions we've dealt with here, uh, the connections between Abraham and Bilam on the one hand, and the more general question. Well, I think that's correct uh, or reasonable. I think there's more to it than this, and we could somewhat perhaps uh, uh, deepen our, our reading uh, a little bit. Uh, if we uh, switch for the moment back to, because uh, i refer to this in the Gemara Babashas, Prashat Bilam, um, often we call it Prashat Balak, right, or Prashat Balak in Bilam. I want to kind of switch briefly, if we can, to the perspective or the point of view of, uh, of Balak. Uh, and to think about what, what was going through Balak's mind. What, what did Balak want, right? Because Balak was not interested in marking the context of Knisal Aretz for the reader uh, by presenting Avram Avinu imagery when he hired uh, Bilam. So I want to switch perhaps to his agenda and think about what he wants, and maybe that might be a key to unpacking things uh, a, a little bit further. So let's take a look in, in Parakafet, Pasik Vav at the beginning here, because he very clearly tells us uh, what he wants. Uh, and he says as follows in Parakafet, Pasik Vav. Vata, lechana arali et ha'am hazeh, come uh, curse this people, ki atzumu yimeni, they're stronger than me, ulai uchal nakebo, maybe I'll be able to smite them if you curse them, v'agashenam in aretz, then I'll chase them out of the land. Ki adate etashet tevarech murach, you uh, are, because I know that he who you bless will be blessed, and he you curse will be cursed. So why does Balak attempt to hire Balaam? Well, he does so because he has this problem that there's a people that's about to enter the land. He wants to be Mekaresho Tamearetz. He wants to establish curse. He wants to establish Klala, or Aor, and if you establish curse, that will negate Kinesala Aretz, right? And that's the purpose, right? Let's bring Bilam, and that will block Kinesala Aretz through the means of curse. We all know that, but of course it's worthwhile looking at the text. Now, if you think about that, that's in fact exactly the opposite of Bereshit Perak Bet. Now, what do I mean by that? We, we know the Pesukim, but we don't often think about them carefully enough. Go back to source number seven, to Bereshit Perak Bet, um, Pasuk. Uh, bet for the moment, right? God commands him in Pasuk Aleph, and then in, in Pasuk Bet, the word bracha second time, Pasuk Gimel, third time, a fourth time, the notion of bracha appears five times in Bereshit Perakid Bet, and of course, what's the point? Well, jump down again to Pasuk Zion, I'm going to give him this land. What is the point of Abraham's journey? The point of the Abraham's journey is to establish two facts of history, or to establish two things. One, it establishes bracha. Two, it establishes Aretz, right? It establishes the rights of Am Yisrael to Eretz Canaan. Uh, and the purpose of the journey is bracha v'aretz. Of course, Balak is interested in exactly the opposite. He's interested in blocking or thwarting that, in klala 
and Ikisa La'aretz, right? Avram is all about, his journeys are all about, his lechlechas are all about uh, establishing bracha uh, and aretz, and yirash zaracha at shar oivav is the whole idea. Um, and Balak wants exactly the opposite, right? Um, that the journey of Bilam will establish Klala and Ikin Salaharats and victory of the enemies. So these journeys are opposites from the perspective of uh, Balak. Um, we might even say that in order to reverse the blessedness or the covenantal status or the covenantal rights of Am Yisrael established by the journeys of Abraham, Bilam goes and hires himself the exact same person, well, not exactly an Abraham, he hires himself an anti-Abraham, uh, who's exactly like Abraham. He comes from the same place, uh, Aram Narayim. He engages on the same sort of journey from Aram Narayim to Canaan. He has the same power, at least in the, from the perspective of uh, Bilam, of blessing and cursing. Uh, and he hires this Abraham or anti-Abraham for the purpose of thwarting the facts established by the journey of Abraham, that of the blessedness of Am Yisrael uh, and their rights to the land, right? Um, and um, he says this pretty much explicitly when he says, because I know that those of you blessed will be blessed and those of you cursed will be cursed. Um, well, does the hiring of the anti-Abraham, does this work? Well, we know the answer to that, no. Uh, and, and you might say that all of Parshat Bil'am, uh, all three chapters, is a kind of an extended version of that answer of no, this is absolutely not uh, going to work. Uh, and uh, we, we can kind of see this in the text uh, in a certain kind of uh, way. Uh, even from the very, very beginning, take a look, let's take a look at two places because time is short. Take a look in source number one in Kafbet, uh, Pasuk uh, Yudbet for the moment, which says as follows. The first time that Balak asked to go, God says, don't go. Uh, don't go on the journey. There's no point. Because they have been blessed, and that blessedness cannot be reversed by any theoretical journey that you're going to take or anything that you do. It's an established fact, and therefore don't even bother to go. Now, of course, even when eventually God does tell him to go, it's supposed to be on God's terms, right? And Balak and Bilam try quite uh, uh, intensely to turn things around, to twist them around. This, of course, doesn't work. And eventually, uh, Bilam and his prophecies confesses or admits to the irreversible fact of the blessedness of Am Yisrael as established by uh, the journeys of Abraham. And I have in mind a particular uh, piece of text. In uh, Bilam's third attempt to curse B'nai Yisrael, take a look in Kafdalid Pasuk Tet, uh, which is on your source sheet uh, in source number 10, I believe. Uh, and this is uh, the uh, third and last attempt by Bilam to curse, which becomes a blessing. Perik Kafdal Pasuk Aleph says as follows: Vayar Bilam kitov b'nei Hashem l'verechat Yisrael, v'loch kifam kifam l'ikrat nechashem. The cursing didn't work. And then uh, in Pasuk Tet, uh, at the end of Bilam's extensive blessing, Karashachav kariu klavi mekimenu mivarechacha baruch v'orecha aor. That's the culmination of Bilam's third attempt to curse, which becomes a blessing, and it's a direct copy-paste from Bereshit Parakibet, and that's the whole point. Uh, the covenantal status and covenantal blessedness established by Abraham is irreversible uh, no matter what, even if you have an anti-Abraham or an Abraham-like figure or someone who supposedly has uh, the power of Abraham, and Balak and Bilam are just effectively wrong, and that's what Prashat Bilam is about, and that's what the imagery is about. It's one extended discourse of the answer to your question is no, it's not reversible. Uh, the covenantal relationship and the promises uh, created by the journeys of Abraham are irreversible fact, and they cannot be reversed. This is my second approach to the question. I'd like to add another layer of meaning in the six minutes I, I have uh, remaining. Uh, by turning, uh, maybe shifting point of view a little bit, and engaging in somewhat more of a, of a character analysis of the story of Pashat Bilam, and that of both the 
um, present characters, Balak and Bilam, and also the missing characters in the story. I think there's some missing characters. I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, and um, maybe let's begin by talking a little bit about the frustration of, of Balak. As the story goes on, as you should remember, Balak becomes uh, quite, quite frustrated, right? Um, take a look, for example, in Perkavdalid, Pasuk Yud, in uh, source number 10. Okay. Uh, so look what Balak says. Ve'yicharach Balak, Balak came angry. spoke it kapav, and he smacked his hands together. Ve'yom Balak yibilam, l'kol v'vay karticha, to curse my enemies, I called you. V'nei barachta barek zeh shalosh pamim. You, you, you bless them three times. So, you know, we, we understand Balak's frustration. He's really, really frustrated. This is not working. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, what does he accuse Balak of? He says, I brought you for purpose X to curse. You've done exactly the opposite. Balak, you betrayed me. Uh, this, is a, this is a false deal. This is a mekah ta'ut. You're treacherous. Uh, you know, that's effectively what, it's not just that he's frustrated, he accuses Bilam of, of treachery, uh, of betrayal, that, that's what he accuses him of. And an interesting question, is this justified or not to accuse Bilam of betrayal uh, and treachery? I mean, you could argue that, you know, not at all. I mean, Balak has, has false expectations that Bilam is actually going to go along with this curse thing because over and over and over, at least on the surface, Bilam has said many, many times, I mean, I'm, a, I'm only, I'm the faithful servant of God. I can only do uh, that which he tells me. And it's three or four or five times throughout the story, but it's just like worthwhile very quickly, very briefly, noting uh, one or two places uh, where this happens. Take a look in uh, uh, Perak uh, Kafbet, uh, Pasuk Yud Chet, uh, for the moment, in source number one. Vayan Bilam Vayomer Labdei Balak no, I, I can't transgress what God tells me. And over and over, he says, I can't do anything other than what God tells me. You know, Balaam says this over and over and over and over. So it seems like Balak's frustration is really valid, uh, and his accusation of betrayal is quite in place. But I think if you look slightly beneath the surface level of what's going on, I think we'll realize that there's a lot more going on in the dialogues between uh, Balak and Bilam. And one could argue that Balak's uh, expectation of curse or Balak's accusation of betrayal is quite in place. Let's very briefly note um, uh, some of the evidence cited by Rashi and Ibn Ezra. We take a look again in source number one. So the first time God says no, and then the second messengers come. Uh, and Pasuk Chet, Perak Kafbet, Pasuk Tetvav says as follows in source number one. By Yosef Od Balak Shloach Sarim Rabim Nechbadim Eile, Vayvo Balam Vayomer Lo Komar Balak Ben Zibran Alti Nomad Me'aloch Elai. Don't don't refuse to come. The second offer. Now, if God said no the first time, what should Balak say? What should Balak say? He should say, no, absolutely not. Instead, what does he say in Pasuk Yudchet? Why does he mention the house of gold and silver? Pasuk Yudchet. I'll ask again. Wait a second. If God said no the first time, why is he asking again? If God said no, why is he mentioning a house full of gold and silver? And as Ibn Ezra points out, God tells him to go the second night. Then he goes. But if, he, if God told him to go, take a look in Pasuk Kafet. God got angry that he was going. He sent him out to block it. Why is God angry? So, why does he invite them to stay over a second night? Why does he mention the house of gold and silver? Why is God angry? And both Rashi and Ibn Ezra and Chazal point out it's because Bilam has a secret hidden agenda. He's trying to twist things around to get God to allow him to curse uh, the people. And Bilam is, as we would say, echad bepeva echad balev. He's one thing in his mouth, but he's another thing in his heart. Bilam is treacherous. Bilam is deceitful. Bilam is a betrayer. 
Bilam betrays his relationship with God. He betrays his powers. Bilam is a prophet for sale. Bilam is a harlot, effectively, on some level, and he's willing to sell out everything for the house full of gold and silver. And there's a great irony here that uh, uh, Bilam, Balak accuses Bilam of betraying him. Yeah, Bilam is a betrayer, but the one he's really betrayed is God uh, and not, uh, not Balak. Now, here's the point. I think there's a sustained contrast in the story of Pashat Bilam between Bilam, the deceitful, treacherous betrayer on the one hand, and another character in the story, what you might think of almost as a missing character, but he's not, he's not missing, what I'm referring to is, is God, or Kaddish Baruch Hu. Take a look uh, in uh, Perak uh, Kaf Gimel, Pasuk Yutet, and now I hear kind of return to my title, and I believe this is source number uh, eight, okay? Um, and at the end of his second prophecy in Pasuk Yudchet, uh, Bilam says as God is not a man when he would lie or be treacherous. Or a man who changes his mind. People make promises and don't keep them. Uh, and they speak and do not keep their word. I found them blessed, and they are blessed, and that cannot be changed or twisted. Why can't uh, the promises made to Abraham be reversed? Why can't the journeys of Abraham be undone by an anti-Abraham? Why can't someone with the power of blessing and cursing come and undo all of that? And the answer is, because God is not a man, because God is not Bilam, because God is not treacherous. God is not a betrayer. God is not a betrayer. And he won't sell out for the house of gold and silver. And no matter how many misbachot you build him, and how, and how many korbanot you put on those misbachot, and Bilam talks about the Sheva misbachot, and the three times, and the three times seven, and all these numbers of completion, and it doesn't matter. He doesn't change his mind. He won't reverse. Because God is not a man, and God is not treacherous. And that's the reason why the blessings of Abraham and the journeys of Abraham cannot be reversed, even by the anti-Abraham, precisely because God is loyal to the covenant. And that is the reason, perhaps, the explanation, the inclusion of Parshat Bilam in our story, to make all these points, and especially the latter, that God is loyal to the covenant. And just to end, as my time is up, and they're all looking at me with these nasty looks, um, let's just talk about the missing character uh, in the story. Who's the missing character in the story? It's not Balak, it's not Bilam, it's not God. The missing character is Am Yisrael. Well, what about them? Right afterwards, in Perak Hafei, Pasuk Aleph, in source number 13 on your sheet, the second half of Parshat Balak, right after Bilam leaves, it's tragic, Perak Hafei, Pasuk Aleph, Yisrael Bashitim, they began to stray after the daughters of Moab, they bow down and they worshipped idols. Unfortunately, Am Yisrael is not God. Am Yisrael often is quite treacherous. And yet, nevertheless, God's attachment to the covenant of Abraham, to the result of the journeys of Abraham, is everlasting. Okay.